0: Welcome to the bandits keep podcast. I am Daniel. And in this season, we are talking about using original dungeons and dragons or playing original dungeons and dragons, I should say, uh, using the chain mail system for combat or all three of the systems. So I've been delving into chain mail now for a little bit, and we're trying all the different systems of combat with the goal of using each one for different types of combat during our campaign. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the fantasy combat system. So the one that we'll use when we're fighting dragons. I mean, it is Dungeons and Dragons after all. So um, that system is going to be for any kind of fantastical large beasts uh, in more kind of modern vernacular. uh, Big bosses, stuff like that, uh, versus the earlier system we talked about, which is the troop system, where you might consider that when you're fighting large groups or, as they say, minions. So combining these two systems together can create a a different feel when you are fighting that end creature, boss, whatever you want to call it, versus fighting the uh, ones building up to it. And that's kind of my goal here, uh, to use each system to create a different feel so that when the players step into that combat, uh, it's unique and it's not always just, okay, I use my longsword and I roll a d20. We really want to change it up depending on the type of creature They are fighting and how that fight's going to go. So after we talk about that a little bit in narrative combat in general, I've got some call-ins. So let's get to it. Okay, so let's talk about the fantasy supplement. So essentially, chainmail has three types of combat. As as I noted uh, in an earlier cast, you've got your kind of standard rules, what I'm calling mass combat rules. Um, Then you've got which is you know troops fighting each other. And then you've got your man-to-man, which is the second type of combat, which we're going to talk about last, because I feel like that's a little bit more in-depth. Uh, and then fantasy. And what's interesting about the fantasy part is that uh, it's, you know, I guess that's kind of the basis of d d right? It starts on page 28. It goes to, I guess, 39. Uh, it's a small part of the book. Um, there's two kind of parts to it, in a sense. There's a fantasy reference table, which uh, shows like your goblins and, and those types of orcs, et cetera. Uh, and it's it allows you to use the troop combat, basically, but have goblins and orcs be your uh, rivals, right? Um, in addition to that, there's a whole section explaining a bunch of different monsters, you know, basically dragons and such. Uh, Ents and uh, Basilisks and Chimeras, uh, Chimeras, I guess, and... Um, And all that's cool. And actually, I'm going through this and referencing it across to D&D to make it uh, actually work. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But the main part of this that I think is interesting, and one of the things that drew me to this is that this combat uh, has the potential to be very narrative. So I want to take a minute to just talk about narrative combat uh, versus, I guess, I don't know, rolling dice. I find, and maybe it comes down to your players and how you how you operate, but I find that the simpler the combat system is, the more narrative it can be. Uh, that's to say, uh, if you have, let's say, so many points for things that you can do, you have a reaction, you have a bonus action, you have this, that triggers that, you end up becoming much more mechanical into in how you handle your combat. Essentially, the combat itself... Uh, becomes, okay, well, hold on, my action is this, and I'm going to roll that. Then because of that, I get this reaction. Uh, and and I, I just think like the, the breakdown, especially until you get really into the system and know it really well and have a system mastery, uh, everything when you jump into combat becomes very uh, strategic. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it just it is what it is, right? And, and also, I feel like possibly in the troop combat, for instance, or the mass combat, this may fall into that category. Um, but the fantasy combat is super interesting. Uh, essentially, uh, only certain uh, people can fight on the fantasy table. You have to be able to fight as at least a hero, which is a fourth-level fighter. Um, and the way that od works is that I think a cleric gets to the point where they can fight uh, as a hero, uh, at like 5th or 6th, maybe 7th level. Uh, the magic user gets there at like 8th or ninth level. Um, I should say, actually, there's also hero minus 1, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but what you do is you cross-reference what you are. So let's say you're a hero and you're fighting a dragon. Um, what you do is you l- literally look at this chart and you go, okay, well, a hero uh, fighting... I'll just do a Barog because it's the first thing. A hero fighting a barog, uh needs an 11, right? Uh of course, a Balrog uh, fighting a hero uh, only needs a four. If you're a hero and you're fighting a Balrog by yourself, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> now, that number, the 11 and the four, is rolled on 2d6. So unlike the other combat, where let's say you fight as four men, so you're making basically four rolls, and uh, any possible one could be a hit, this is all or nothing. You could be a 12th level uh, fighter, so theoretically you, you could get 12 attacks if you were fighting on the troop uh, combat. In this, you get that one roll, but when you're a higher level, uh, you ch- this hero, then this superhero, and the number changes, and it also changes depending on what you're fighting. Some things are better fighting other things, you know. Uh, and because of that, it 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 drops the combat down to literally one roll for the if it. Let's say it's one PC. Uh, let's say a hero is fighting an ogre. It's one roll for the PC and one roll for the ogre. And this is supposed to take into account everything that's going on. So if the ogre is swinging their club or throwing a rock or jumping up and down or pulling the roof down on the hero, the hero is using their bow, they're rolling, they're jumping, they're they're bashing with their shield. Essentially, this one roll narrates that. Um, There's three results. You can either, going by chainmail, you can either uh, fail, basically, roll under the number. You can meet the number, which is a pushback, or it's called a... um, I'll tell you what it's actually called I thing printed out here uh, okay score equal uh, total means defender is fall back has to fall back one move okay in a, in a combat like war war game like on a table that makes sense I'm gonna change this up a little bit so we'll talk about that but uh, and then if you get over you you kill them you know I mean that's literally what it is so a hero in theory uh, you know needs that 11 to uh, to hit the dragon. If the first round of combat, the hero rolls two sixes, so a 12, the dragon's dead. Uh, so it can be quite fast and quite deadly if you do it that way. Um, that's basically how it works in Chainmail, this part, this type of the combat. I'm making a bunch of changes to it. Um, but before again, before I talk about that, I just want to talk about narrative a little bit more. So, yeah, I suppose like when we were just testing the numbers, if you just go, I roll, you roll, that's kind of boring. Um, and that's not really how I think that this is or should be used or if you're going to use it with OD&D. This is the type of thing where you can really let the players and, of course, the GM, you can do it, narrate the combat, make the combat exciting and you can basically say just about anything that you want that your character does within reason. The idea here is that these are these epic end game fights that you see in movies where people are like jumping, you know, across like chasms and ripping down, uh, you know, uh, tapestries to, to to smother their opponent. They're 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 doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and that's the way I see this happening. To me, ideally, if I'm using this at the table. What I want is for the players to be crazy creative. And if they're fighting a dragon, I'm going to say, you know, the dragon breathes fire at you. Uh, oh, no, it didn't roll. Out. Okay. So it missed or it tries to snap at you with its claws. Like you could say all this stuff. You're a wizard. You could be like magical energy fires from my fingers. You're not actually shooting spells, right? You can basically narrate it any way you want within reason. As long as the narration ends with either you hit him or you didn't, you know, that's basically the, uh, <laughs> the idea here now, Magic swords and magic armor, because uh, that's all they have in Chainmail, uh, affect this. Essentially, um, a magic sword gives you a bonus, you know, as you would imagine. And a magic uh, armor uh, gives a penalty to the attacker. So that's all fine and dandy, and it all works out pretty well. And we did some quick tests, and, and it's it's pretty cool. Obviously, if you have three dragons fighting six characters, you can do that too, right? It doesn't actually matter the number. It's, it kind of comes down to going back and forth. Now, I'm going to say that 99% of people are not going to want to take the risk of dying if they just have one bad roll. So I immediately uh, look to see what OD&D are, says to do about this. And their answer is each, quote, kill is a hit. So you roll a D6 this didn't seem as satisfying to me. So I played it out a few different ways. And as as with troop combat, I've decided that I don't like the idea of hit points here. I don't want extra dice. Like I want this to be super fast and super uh, simple. And also I don't want the idea that you've just gone through this whole dungeon and you've only got eight hit points left and now there's a dragon and of course you're dead, right? Which I guess is fine. Again, I'm not saying that's a problem, but how I plan on running this is that I want this to be that scene in the movie where the the weary and beaten hero faces off against their nemesis and somehow has that, that strength of character, that strength of power that they pull from themselves and fight essentially at full strength because what I'm going to use for this is hit dice. But unlike the troop combat where you have to have a number of hits equal to your hit dice to go down, clearly that doesn't work here because they're only making one attack, right? Everybody just gets one attack. Here the, the hits will be cumulative. So if you have a five a level 5 fighter, you'll need to get hit 5 times before you die. Uh, and I also uh, look at this too as it's not necessarily killing you. Um, this, you what, I, what I actually phrase it as is that you are defeated. And the defeat could be a lot of different things. You might get captured. You might get... Because uh, remember, these are now, quote, boss monsters, right? So they might capture you. They might, you know, sell you you off to your enemies. Or they might uh, keep you for their own personal, you know, whatever, torture you to death. or You know, these kind of things. This should be epic stuff. And that's why everything's super loose here. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Looking at the chart on page 44 in Chainmail... We're going to see, obviously, especially if you play d and a lot, uh, there's not that many monsters on here. Now, yeah, low-hit dice stuff like orcs and goblins and stuff are listed on page 43, uh, again, to be fought under the troop combat. But when you look at these fantasy monsters, you're looking at, I'll just read them down, Balrog, dragon, elemental, ent, giant, hero, lycanthrope, rock, superhero, troll or ogre, white or ghoul, Wizard, and Wraith. That's basically all you have to choose from. Which means that if you want to fight, let's say, a Hydra, you know, what do you do? Do they fight on the troop combat only? Uh, do you just not use them? You know, what do you do? Uh, fortunately, in, the, uh, in that supplement that I have the, that's called uh, Using Chainmail to Resolve od d Combats, a person by the name of Wraith, R-A-I-T-H-E, uh, created a breakdown. And what they've done here is, well, they've listed most of the monsters. I think these are all the ones from uh, OD&D and then also from Greyhawk. You know, the od three books and then Greyhawk. And they broke it down in a group. So for instance, it says man types, and then it'll list things like uh, giant slug. So if you're fighting a giant slug, you don't fight them on the fantasy table. You just literally fight them as a man type. Uh, but then they have large humanoid listed. And then it says fights as troll ogre. And it has a little description. Too powerful, too powerful, massive, or savage to be men, but nonetheless man-like in, in basic form. Ogres, Ogre Magi, Trolls, umberhulk, bugbear, Bugbear, men. So when you're fighting those creatures, you'll just use the ogre uh, attack and in, in defense, basically. Uh, giants, you know, giants, a giant storm, and titans. Uh, of course, it just says giant. Uh, then uh, uh, corporal undead. There's incorporeal undead. And then magical beasts, uh, better than animal intelligence having qualities which raise them above animal status that's your basilisks, your hippogriffs displacer beasts and then you got fantastic creatures medusa gargoyles will-o-wisps creatures of myth and legend nightmares and fantasy they fight as a treant dragons you know obviously dragons fit under there but also under that category dragons uh that uh Physiology and combat style are like dragons. So Purple Worm, Hydra, uh, chimeras, etc. And then Lycanthropes fight under Lycanthropes. And then you can look at some things like there's the wizard table. Maybe you might want to put a lich under there. But using that as your basis, you can take any monster essentially that you feel like fits that fantasy combat level of wanting to fight them and put them on this list. Now, but then you might be saying, but hold on, if a dragon is a dragon, and then also a chimera is a dragon, and so is a purple worm, like, what differentiates them? And here's where the hit dice come in. Essentially, because we're using the hit dice as a number of, like, hits to kill them, if you're fighting a purple worm and it has 15 hit die, it's going to take 15 hits to hit that purple worm. Yes, it's the same number that you have to throw to fight the dragon. Yes, it's the same number that it throws as a dragon to fight you. But those hit die will make different creatures more or less powerful. This is really the key to this. It's not perfect, and I understand that, and I don't think anything really ever is going to be perfect using this system. The more you simplify the system, the more you make it narrative, the less those little details and stuff are going to matter. It's really going to be up to the player and the DM at the table to decide exactly how these things factor in. But at least you've got that spot there, right? So when you go to fight this this uh, Hydra, you could you know, uh, put it on the dragon table and literally uh, just fight as a dragon, but if it has 12 heads, it's 12 hit dice. And then every time you chop up a head, it keeps losing a hit die. It's still powerful. It's still going to fight you. Uh, It doesn't actually affect it. Just like any weapons that you're using here, unless they're magical, are not going to affect it. At this point, we're really going into narrative combat and you're really just going with the flow. And again, this is going to be used for just special combats that you want. I actually really like it uh, tied in with, I mentioned this in the last podcast, tied in with the troop combat when you have like, well, the case that we were doing it, we had a werewolf and then we had a bunch of regular wolves. So you've got like this like fantasy combat going on, uh, you know, at, 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 at the same time as you have the troop combat going on. And so it allows you to to separate uh, them out so it feels different, feels more powerful, but it also uh, puts you in the situation where um, it's not so confusing. Like when you switch to the fantasy, your hero and 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 uh, werewolf are just throwing one set of dice. When it's a bunch of wolves and a bunch of troops, they're just throwing a bunch of six-siders. It's all very simple. You don't really have to to worry about, oh, but this has a knockdown attack or this has that. It all just becomes narrative. Now, the thing that... that where it's, this is actually, I keep overthinking this and going back to it. So I need to do more play tests is you might be thinking, well, like I mentioned earlier, well, if you're fighting a dragon, I could just be like, well, it blows its breath. And then of course it loses, it, it misses. You could be like, and you dodge out of the way, or it could be, it blows its breath and singes you, you know, uh, wearing you down, you know, or you dive out of the way, but you know, now you're, you're, you're out of breath. And so you lose a hit die. Right. So that's basically how you narrate that. But how do you narrate, you know, Medusa? right? It's like, because if Medusa sees you, right? Or you see Medusa, you should be making a saving throw. If you are fighting on like the troop combat system, that is the way that you'll do it. So if you have a bunch of uh, low level characters and they step into a room and they're surprised by Medusa, they're going to make a saving throw just like you always would. But if you're a high level hero, you know, think about the scene. If you've ever seen the original uh, Clash of Titans, you know, when Perseus is fighting Medusa, a lot of him is just like jumping behind, uh, you know, statues, moving out of the way, avoiding her. That's essentially the combat. And if Perseus wins, you know, he knocks Medusa to zero hit dice. That knocking her down to zero hit dice is him taking her head in the end. If Medusa had uh, been successful, then Perseus would be turned to stone. And there'd be no saving throw because basically this combat drags that out. It allows so that you can actually fight these kind of creatures, you know, and and have, you know, a a little bit more of a chance or maybe less of a chance spending, right? Um, And just, but again, it becomes more narrative. This is definitely not going to be for everyone. And I'm curious how all my different groups will handle it. And this is one reason why I'm doing these things, because I I do like the idea of a narrative combat. I, I really do. I think that it can be really fun. Now, if uh, you don't want to dive deeply into uh, OD&D, and you just want to mess around with something like this, there is a game called Barbarians and Basilisks. Uh, I have it right here in my hand. I got this off printed off of Lulu, I believe. It's by uh, James M. Stater, and this basically uses a similar system. You reference what you are, like if you're a barbarian, let's say, and you're fighting a occultist. Uh, a you, there's literally a chart exactly the same way. You reference it, and I believe it is a 2d6 system. I'd have to look at it. I haven't played in a while. But it's more or less the same thing. You, you, the barbarian needs a certain number to hit the, the cultist. The cultist needs a certain number to hit the barbarian. And that's just how you do it. It keeps things super simple, and you can narrate out. We've played this several times. Uh, you just play it out. super, super rules-light, super, super simple way to do combat. You don't have to worry about armor classes, you don't have to worry about, you know, a hit a hit points, you don't have to worry about special attacks. And again, that allows you to have that narrated scene where it's like, again, you know, uh, your warrior who's got, you know, just a a loincloth on and then a battle axe and they're able to to challenge, let's say, uh, you know, uh, a Hydra. Whereas in most systems, you would be dead because your AC would be terrible and the Hydra would get a million attacks and it would just be, yeah, you would die. This allows that kind of combat to happen. So if you want to embrace that kind of combat, then this could really work. This is why I'm loving the idea of using all the different systems, because I would not want this to be my only way of fighting. Like, I do feel like in Barbarians and Basculus, it's fine, but... You know, I think if for a campaign, that'd be boring for me after a while. This, uh, using all three uh, versions of fighting and chainmail has really, the idea of it, which uh, again, I got from that uh, Conan supplement. By the way, I always mention that, but I don't say who it is. I have it in front of me. Let me just check it here. Uh, it's called The Age of Conan by Jason Vey. Um, if you can find this, uh, it's a PDF online. Uh, I would recommend picking it up. It doesn't have any of the chain mail rules in here. So you have to actually buy chainmail, which is like five bucks on drive through uh, but it talks about how, how it's used. Um, and, of course, the other one, too, you can find, which I said, using chain mail for od d combat. I think that all of these uh, supplements really come together to create, again, a, an interesting system. It does change things. It goes back all the ways to the first thing I was talking about, which is core mechanic. If you love core mechanic, then this is probably not going to be for you. Okay, so on that note, I, I've started to, to write this stuff up a little bit neater for myself. Uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit to you about kind of the general overview of it so you can get an idea of where I'm going with it. And also, I'll, I'll talk about some of the changes I'm making to, uh, to Fantastic Combat to make it more interesting. So um, here we go. This is for my document. There are three types of combat in the chainmail rules. Standard combat. This is used for mass combat and large uh, skirmishes. Man-to-man combat used for single combat or small groups of combatants uh, fighting in weapons and armor. And then fantasy combat, used when heroic combatants fight against fantastic foes. So under standard combat, uh, use standard mass combat rules when the difference between levels or hit dice is a category. Uh, And I have categories broken down as man, hero, superhero. I actually got those from Delving Deeper. Um, you know, kind of, I don't think they call them that, but that's, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they call them, but they have the three categories, uh, or when fighting groups of more than double the size of the party for pass-based combat, uh, at low levels. So basically you might be the same level as them. Like your party might be, you know, second level, but, uh, you know, there's five second level characters, let's say, and they're fighting like 12 goblins, y- even though you're not a-, a category apart, you would use this because using the man to man would just take forever for such a combat. So the level categories are normal men, which is one through three; heroic, which is four through seven; and then superheroic, which is seven uh, above seven. Uh, okay. And then I have these quick notes: man to man. This system is used when a more granular approach to combat is desired, and the combatants are fighting with weapons and armor. Combats versus fantastical creatures or animals not so equipped should be handled with mass combat or fantasy combat procedures. So that tells you right away. So when you're the GM, right, you step up and let's say that you, well, I'm just going to use one PC to make it easy. You've got your fighter and they are, um, let's say they're going through the woods and they get, uh, let's say they're second level and they are uh, attacked by three bandits. At that point, you know, and the bandits have whatever, the fighters in chainmail and a uh, sword. The bandits are in like, let's say no armor because they're bandits and spears. Um, you might use the man-to-man combat if you want this combat to be more involved. If you want to, be, if you enjoy combat and you want to play it out, uh, or maybe there's a chance of, uh, you know, like some banter going back and forth, that kind of stuff. You could use man-to-man because they're basically the same level. But if you're just like, well, man, there's three bandits and I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this combat. It was just a random encounter that was rolled. You could switch over and use the uh, the, the mass combat rules. Like it would just work really quickly to be like, okay, you, you know, if you're using it more like a. And a time where you're just like slowing down the warrior, weakening them a little bit, you know, adding that kind of uh, feel of traveling through the woods, making it dangerous. But the encounter is not like important. Uh, And of course, fantasy combat uh, these are creatures of myth and legend that no normal human could hope to defeat without the help of magical weapons, though some heroic warriors can stand against these creatures. Use fantasy combat when powerful foes clash. Now, what I should note here, too, is that this is not in here, obviously, is that. I said that about the magic weapons. There's some rules in here that I talk about where you can use the magic weapons uh, to allow non-heroic people to fight these monsters. But also, what's what happens here is that if you are just a, if you're a high level fighter, like you're Conan, so you're like an eighth level fighter, you can fight these monsters that let's say traditionally can't be hit by non-magic weapons with anything, with a rock, because you are at that level. You being that heroic character allows you to hit these creatures even though they normally would not be able to be hit by uh, non-magical weapons. All right, so I'm basically just gonna read what I have here, uh, roughly, uh, uh, so you can get the idea of where I'm at with fantasy combat. Uh, Some types of creatures can only be attacked using fantasy combat table. This is important, by the way. So in the monster's description, let's let's say a dragon. Uh, regular people just can't beat a dragon. I talked about this before. I like that uh, kind of mythology-wise because that means that even though the king has an army, unless they have that one hero that can defeat the dragon, they just can't beat it. It's just too powerful. Nobody has the fortitude to destroy this dragon no matter how many men they have, no matter how many normal men they have, I should say. Anyways, um, I already explained this. You roll 2d6, uh, and then you compare it to the chart. So now, rolling below the target number means the combatant was not able to land a telling blow that round. That doesn't mean you didn't smack the dragon around. It means you didn't cause any damage. Uh, hitting the target number, fallback one move is what it's called in chainmail. When the attacker's roll, after all, all modifiers, is exactly equal to the reflected on the combat chart, the defender is knocked back. A knockback defender loses their next turn. So that's how I did this. Since we're not playing an, uh, a war game battlefield, they don't move back. They are just they just lose their next turn. This does allow another round of attacks by the the first person, right? The person who just did it, or they could retreat and break from combat. So let's say you are that hero and you're fighting the dragon, and you get lucky and you slam it with an eleven the first attack. But you know that you're not going to be able to beat a dragon. I mean, it's just not. You got surprised. This was just a bad idea. You can take your opportunity to, to run <laughs> at this point, you know. Oh, you can take another attack. Um, all right. So uh, in fantasy combat, the combatant's HD form of, uh, is a form of tracking damage. Instead of a successful hit immediately slaying the defender, as in chain mail, any hit uh, reduces by the defender by one HD. With the exception of special magic swords explained below. Uh, note, this bypasses the hit point system, just like the troop system or the mass combat system. This doesn't use hit points. Hit points are going to be used for man to man, which we'll discuss when we get there. Uh, when you reduce to zero or lower hit dice, uh, they've lost the combat and the victim may narrate the results could be death capture, whatever you like. Uh, and again, I I feel like, because this is the kind of combat where the giant might, you know, take you captive, or the witch might tie you up to put into your stew or whatever, you know, so uh, just going down here doesn't mean you're dead. Uh, Anyways, so here's some notes. Magic weapons. Magic weapons, including standard magical swords, so like a sword plus two, add their bonus to the attack roll and do normal damage. That is, they do one hit die per successful hit. Thus, a hero fighting with a plus three spear rolls 2d6 plus three, and upon a hit, delivers one hit die of damage. So your magic weapons give a bonus to your hit roll here. It doesn't do any additional hit dice of damage. However, special magic swords, magical swords that have a bonus against certain foes, do that bonus number of hit dice. So a sword plus one plus three versus dragons does the normal one hit die of damage versus uh, every enemy except dragons. Against dragons, it does three hit dice, and of course gets three to plus three to hit. So those special swords become really powerful if you're fighting things that are, are fantastically, uh, are fighting on the fantastic combat. It only applies to swords. That's super important. And it goes to ties in with OD well, because in ODD magic swords are only usable by fighters. Well, until thieves come, come around, which means again, that just gives something very special for the fighters. They can get these supersonic swords that can really kick butt. Uh, so that's important. Uh, all right. I did make some changes because as I was looking, I was like, okay, that's cool. But if every hit only does one thing, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like something, there's certain things, level draining. Level draining is a huge thing in old D&D. How does that work here? Because what's happening? I want those vampires to seem really, really deadly, even to high level characters, because that's what level draining does. It actually makes the, the player afraid. I think that's kind of the point of it. So what I've decided to do at level draining is as follows. Any undead creature that that has the capability of level draining will basically score more than one hit die of damage. So things that level drain one level, like a white or a wraith, they do two hit dies of damage. And a specter or a vampire that normally drain two levels will do three hit dies. So again, you don't get level drained, but they're doing more damage in this in this combat. So if you're fighting a vampire, every time it hits you, your, your hit die is being re- reduced by three. And of course... If you drop to zero hit dice here, it will be that effect that that's normally happens when a level drainer drains you. You know, basically, uh, like if you get drained by a, I don't, a ghoul or not a ghoul, a white, then you become a white. So that's how that will work. Um, uh, okay, so there's also a couple of things here that I, that I added because this is basically going through chainmail. Um, a, you know, all... all um, all things are, are kind of added together and subtracted because there are things like when you're a third level fighter, you can actually fight as hero minus one. So theoretically, you could still fight on this chart, but you would subtract one from your role. But if you had like a plus two sword, then you would just, you know, swish those together and you'd get plus one. So that, I just explained that here because that's important. Uh, also, and this is going to be the case, I think, across all of uh, the combat is that when you have magic uh, armor and shield, only the one with the highest bonus matters. That's kind of how I'm going to do that. I'm not going to make it cumulative because in a 2d6 system, you can't have people having plus four, plus five to their defense. So it just becomes crazy. Um, Okay. Uh, But there are a couple other things going on here. Uh, Non-heroic elves, specifically, fighting with any magical sword or bow or arrows, fights as a hero but receives no bonus to their role due to the magic of the sword. They do, however, do full damage from special swords as noted above. So that would mean that like an, elf, let's say a second level elf, uh, you know, would be able to pick up a sword plus three against dragons. They would not get the plus three to hit, but they would attack as a hero. And if they did hit, it would still do three hit die. Um, if they, uh, if they just use a regular magic sword against the dragon, it would just do one hit die damage just like everybody else. But then again, they wouldn't get the bonus to hit. Any other person besides elves, so a dwarf, a hobbit, a a human that's not a hero, using a magical sword, um, they fight as a hero, but only against the creatures that are opposed to the sword. So a regular person picking up a sword plus three against dragons will fight as a hero with that sword, but they'll get no bonuses, and they'll get only one hit die of damage. So basically what that ends up meaning is that there is a possibility that a regular person could theoretically pick up a magic sword and defeat a dragon, but it would just be really, 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 really hard, <laughs> but it is possible. Um, and then I just put a note. Some monsters have special weaknesses or a protections that supersede the above rules. These will be listed in each description. So I'm going to go through all the monsters one by one, uh, probably as I play test them and I will make adjustments as needed. Um, So I I already mentioned this about the special attack forms, you know, so basically if you're fighting a, a Medusa, a Medusa, if you're fighting Medusa and, uh, you lose that combat, you're turned to stone. If you're fighting a giant spider that has poison uh, sting, when it's when you lose the combat, you're basically getting stung and you're succumbing to the poison. Um, you know, If you're fighting something that has a disintegration, like acid or something, if you lose the combat, then you are disintegrated. And that's basically how that will work. I'm not going to worry about the minutiae of during the combat. I think it's just easier to deal with it uh, as the final blow of the combat. And uh, like I said, I've... Done a little bit of this. We played around with this a bit in our first play test where we were mostly doing the troop system. And I found this to be really effective and really fun. Uh, more so than you might think. I think that some people look at simple systems like this and think, oh no, but that doesn't make sense or that's just going to be boring. What if I make my one roll and I miss? Then I have to wait till it comes around to me. Well, the whole table is going to be fighting like this. So it's going to be fast and furious. And that's the way I like my combats to be. I like them to be fast. Um, I like them to be uh, kind of swingy and decisive. You know, I I love the idea of uh, the uh, big boss, as people love to say, getting killed with a single you know strike of a sword through their through their gut, and that can happen here. If you're fighting a wizard as a hero, all those times you're knocking down their hit dice, you're not actually like actually doing damage to them because in the end of this combat, just like troop combat, if you didn't die you're basically fine. It kind of like rolls back. I might make some kind of a uh, like a 10-minute rest or something that's needed to recuperate, but essentially you don't lose those hit dice. I mean, they're, they're going to come back to you. They're literally just the measure of that combat, uh, and that's kind of how that's going to work. It becomes a little bit unrealistic, I guess, but we're playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's an unrealistic game. where You want these heroes to be able to do things that just couldn't be done, um, at least if you're using this system. Uh, if you want a more kind of greedy system with, with less heroic characters, then maybe this might be over the top. But also keep in mind that you've got to have reached at least fourth level to even have a chance to fight on these charts. And a hero is not that good on the charts. They're like the worst thing. So, <laughs> you know, you really need to get a substantial level to actually be able to, you know, do the things like I'm saying, kill a dragon in a couple of hits. You need to be pretty high level for that to even be... Uh, uh, even possible at all. So you're looking at your Hercules and your your Conans and, you know, uh, these high-level uh, superhero-type fighters are the ones that are going to be able to do this kind of thing. Regular people are not. So I got a bunch of uh, Collins, so let's uh, go to those now. Hey, Jason here. Great
1: episode on Hit Points. I failed to say it before, I think, but I'm sure you're right that the alternate combat system prevailed just because... People didn't want to buy chain mail or didn't have chain mail handy. So a couple things real quick, because this is going to be a multi-call response, I think. But as far as Cody's call, he, I don't know if you have access to or if he has access to, but Judges Guild Journal 19. So this is, you know, going back a ways, um, 1980, I think. But there's an article in there called A Melee System by Lands Lakofa, L-A-K-O-F-K-A. And it goes pretty in-depth in the kind of things he's asking for. But it's pretty much a one-on-one combat system like you're talking about. If you want an extended one-on-one system, that system's pretty interesting because it takes into account class and level and armor and all that. But the author of that article even says that, you know, he they don't recommend it. Replace the standard combat system. It's pretty much just for like one-on-one duels. And whatnot, it's not, you know, and it's only for, like, humans versus humans, humanoid versus humanoid kind of thing, not fighting monsters and stuff. They're, You know, like, you know, griffins and things like that. So, you know, for what it's worth. But anyway, that's an interesting another melee system. If anybody has access to Judges Guild Journal 19 from 1980, it might be worth looking at. So, hit points. I talked to Rob over at the Down the Heat podcast a couple times about this. Um, Evil Jeff also interestingly enough Came up with the same idea roughly I had I think he was Spying on me in my dreams And then I did a special episode with Colin Green, the Spike Pit RPG Podcast that I put out A little while back on my podcast And we talked about uh, hit points And healing specifically And the conclusion that, That both Evil Jeff and I came up with You know provided he didn't steal my idea Was that you know healing should be scaled by level to stop that offset that you you know you talk about in being your podcast where you know a 10th level fighter heals 10 times slower than a first level fighter effectively right so basically we would and I forget the exact modifications we we discussed I discussed them with Colin like Sam Mine and both Evil Jeff and I called into Rob's podcast with those suggestions as part of his bx deep dive series but effectively you would either heal whatever the healing is you multiply it by the level or you roll that class's hit dice multiplied by the level for that healing right so if a heal spell normally does 1d8 when you use a heal spell in a fifth level fighter it'll do 5d8 you know effectively I should have scripted these messages for you because I said, you know, an awful, and, and the word effectively an awful lot in that last one, didn't I? S- anyhow, I think that, uh, that healing is an interesting thing. I do like the idea of scaling it by class, by hit points. But, you know, I'm interested to see what you come up with. And anyhow, I'm enjoying your podcast very much. I look forward to your next episode. And, yeah, let's keep on the path of getting Andy to play OD&D. That, that should be our goal for 2021. Talk to you later.
0: So that was Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast with some uh, good good info there. I'll see if I can uh, go through. I have a bunch of old uh, magazines and stuff around. I may have that judge's guilt. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I think that these really complex uh, melee systems, that's where they go, right? We, we all want to have, like um, – Realism, like where does the blow hit or whatever, but after about the third round, it gets a little boring (laughs) unless it's really going to make a difference. And you know, if you have a huge group of people, so um, yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, also, I I like the idea of healing, I hadn't actually heard that one before. Um, I've seen people do you heal your hit die or you do the normal healing times your level, so like a BX would be like one to three per day but if you're fifth level then you'd be one to three times five but i like the idea of your hit die uh times level for any kind of healing like even spells that's actually really super interesting and i may try to incorporate that
2: hi hey daniel spencer here from keep off the borderlands i just wanted to say i've really been enjoying your podcast um you're very good at articulating some of the things that came up for me when looking at these older rule sets of uh, D&D. I'm one of those people who didn't actually play D&D back in the day, uh, but the OSR movement really caught my imagination and I was intrigued by um, what was so enduring, what gave these early rule sets their longevity, why people kept returning to them, or in some cases, never stopped playing them since you know when they were first released um so uh yeah i just wanted to thank you for that it's been really really interesting and enlightening cheers hey
3: daniel it's rob from down in a heap i've really been enjoying your podcast so far so great work and you're making me want to go back and actually purchase like Chainmail and O D D because Those are two of the old things, which I guess I'm saying with a red face, I have never read and don't own. But uh, it's actually, yeah, it's kind of sounding appealing the way you're describing it and stuff. I'm glad I found another person that really dislikes the bag of holding. (laughs) Alright, look forward to more of your episodes. Oh, and, uh, you know, I focus far more on BX. That's kind of my system of choice, or at least the chassis to build off of. And in the context of BX, um, you know, the rules is written there. I think a D6 for all weapons doesn't make sense, but I'm looking forward to hearing uh, how it plays out in the fantasy combat and stuff in chain mail. See ya. Hey, it's uh, Rob down in Heap again pulling a Jackson. I don't know if <laughs> that maybe doesn't make sense if, if you're new to the anchor sphere. Uh, anyway... This might be an unfair comparison, apples and oranges, or whatever, but the mass combat system you're describing, where you're rolling uh, d6s and stuff, almost feels to me like the uh, the difference that you'd have playing a game like Axis and Allies versus a game that was maybe on a strategic level for one of the fronts or something, you know, like the Eastern Front, like the Russian campaign or something, which. Is really drilled down and looking at cores and armies and stuff, in um, discrete movement rather than big areas. But playing Axis and Allies allows you to play the entire World War and not get bogged down with all the details. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking on my butt. See ya. <laughs> okay, last last call. Whew, you gave me a lot to think about with that <clears throat> last episode. But hit points, I'm glad you brought up Into the Odd. I really like that system <clears throat> and how it kind of separates hit points as being more like a buffer, kind of how Gygax is describing them, and bodily harm having it done to attribute damage. I've thought about actually kind of test driving that in a game and importing that concept into like a BX game or something but the one thing that seems at odds with that is that a constitution gives you a bonus to hit points almost making it seem like you're physically more durable. I don't know, maybe it would have, it's representing that you're physically able to hang in there and continue parrying and dodging and stuff that you're not getting winded. But uh yeah, anyway, into the odds a really cool system. See you.
0: Thanks uh Spencer and Rob uh for calling in. Yeah, I I think um I've never played Ax- Axis and Allies or any of that stuff, so <laughs> there you go. I don't have really experience with most of the war game type things. But I, if I understand what you're saying, I think that, yeah, that's exactly it. You uh, you basically, you're zooming in and out depending on which combat system you use. So when you want to, I mean, you could use any of them for the most part for anything, but when you want to kind of zoom out and, uh, and see, you know... 20, 30 people fighting all at once instead of uh, going through the process of every single uh, detail, you could basically make it really simple with your D6s. So the fact that they're chain and shield versus chain, or they have a battle axe versus a sword isn't that big of a deal in that huge, you know, overarching uh, combat. But when you drop down to man-to-man, all the, the little details make a difference. So, and again, the, and just the you hit them, you kill them versus... Um, you know, hit points and that sword just glanced off and only hurt him a little bit. That's where the different types of combat come in and where you'd use each one specifically. Uh, and, and I think that is the cool thing. I agree. I don't use uh, uh, D6 damage for everything in BX. I've tried it a couple times, um, but I don't think it really works out, especially since first through third level characters all have the same two hit and everything. So it kind of really flattens the game too much for my, for my taste. Uh, One thing I did do though in relation to the other idea is that uh, I ran a a short campaign in Lamentations of the Flame Princess where I used uh, constitution uh, as basically like your meat and uh, also I used wisdom as like sanity because I went back and forth and – yeah, I always took it as you get a con bonus to your hit points because exactly you're you as you're uh, progressing and going up levels. You know, even if you're you're not the most in shape person in the world, if you do enough dungeon delving, you're going to get a little bit tougher uh, if you if your body can handle it, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's why that works out, and it is all very abstracted. Um, and but that con con bonus for hit points has been in since the beginning. OD&D has it, although it's only one point um, if you have a high enough con. So you know who knows. Uh, I think that a lot of it is just part of making it a game versus, you know, being realistic. And the D6s just make things, I don't want to say they make it easier, but it more kind of makes it uh, vague, allowing for more narration. All right, great. So thanks for all the call-ins, guys. Thanks for listening. If you uh, are new to this podcast, go back and listen to the other ones and you'll kind of see where I'm coming from here. Uh, It's pretty exciting for me, actually. I should mention that I saw the podcast is now on Apple. So uh, I guess it's official and I am making a podcast uh, five episodes in or six episodes in or whatever we are. And uh, I appreciate everybody that's calling in and listening. It's a fun little thing to kind of essentially talk out loud about... uh, Things that I'm doing in my gaming and get responses from people with some interesting information uh, and viewpoints. So, thanks again for everybody who's listening and calling in, and I will talk to you soon.